Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Oh, Captain, my Captain. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. Oh, command me, Lord. Now you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? I always ask that of all my prey. I just like the sound of it. I'll have what she's having. You have chosen wisely. It reminds us. All that once was good, and it could be again. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious... You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. Classic movies, 30 years in the making. This is the 30-something movie podcast, episode number 245, marching on towards 250. Um, and tonight, actually, we have Jeff, the, the orchestrator of episode number 250. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm uh, I, I'm pulling all my strings for getting episode 250 together, trying to make all you puppets dance. There we go. There dance, it is. Dance. All right. I'm looking forward to that one. So I I did re-narrow down my list with some honorable mentions. So I think, okay. I'm, I think I'm, ready, I'm ready to go now. I, I consulted my many spreadsheets. Yes, of which you showed me earlier. And I'd like to say I felt bad for making you go back and re-examine your list, but I don't feel bad at all. No, I, you, you shouldn't. I was probably going to do that anyway. Unlike Pat, who's had his list solid and turned in for months now. And I'm not thinking about it, because if I think about it, then bad things happen. Remember today? We just had a conversation today, Jeff. And there was a whole bunch. You brought up a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but those are 90s cartoons, right? And you're like, I don't know. And I'm like, no, ma- please please tell me they're 90s cartoons, right? And then sure enough, nope, these are in the 80s. Ah, shoot. When's the deadline for that thing? Oh, wait, I can't do it. I can't think about it. Well, so I will say the bulk of my list was turned in months ago. I, I, I did make a couple of changes, but. All right. Most of it has stayed pretty solid. All right. So we are on episode number 245. Episode number 245 is this is the last entry in our month of May, our Movies We Missed month, where we're going back to years in the 80s, either years we didn't get to because we started our podcast after that point, or uh, movies that just did not make the cut in some of our other years that we've done. So we've reached the end of it. Uh, This month has gone, we've gone from Cannonball Run to the Dream Team to American Werewolf in London, and we are ending it all with E.T. from 1982. So. Awesome. Awesome way to end this month. Um, let me jump very, very quickly into our spoiler alert. We spoil the movies we talk about. So if you, I don't know who hasn't seen E.T. at this point, but if you haven't seen E.T., go watch the movie and then come back because we're going to talk all about it. Uh, if you have not left us a review on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate that. It helps other people find our show and uh, helps us know what we're doing well, what you're enjoying, um, you know, things that we could try to do differently if there's some stuff that you, uh, you'd like to leave us some feedback on. But that would really, really help us out to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, even if it's not iTunes. And then ultimately visit our website 30podcast.com that's all got all the different ways to connect with our show whether it's on letterboxd or twitter or instagram or whatever it might be the voicemail line you can call into that's going to be the best place to find all the stuff about our show as well as all the past episodes so you've heard their voices already uh, i've got pat canagalo with me tonight pat how you doing doing well john excellent and jeff mazuka hello howdy um and jeff we'll talk a little bit more about this later but this was your pick uh, et was ultimately your pick for the movies we missed month so we have you to thank for this episode Well, you're very welcome. Yes, many thanks. Gracias. All right, so two things very quickly for our news section here. Um, And one of them, actually, I mentioned last week, and I know that Jeff is a little bit more uh, of a fan of this, so I'm going to mention this uh, even though it was mentioned on last week's show. Um, First, before we get to that, I was reading today that they are doing a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids reboot. Have we heard about that? I Maybe I have. 
Okay. I want to say I have heard about it and I tried to forget about it. Okay. okay. I, the only news that I know is I was reading something earlier today that Josh Gad is the kind of the primary actor uh, that they're looking at for the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids reboot. So I, I don't know if he'd be playing the role of the father or how that's going to work out, but um, that's that's all I know about that. So I don't have a whole lot to share with it. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Mm. Um, and then I asked last week, but this is not his cup of tea. So I'm going to ask it this week because I know Jeff does enjoy this. Um, the trailer for It Chapter 2 came out. Did you have a chance to watch that, Jeff? I still have not yet had a chance to watch it. You haven't? Okay. No. All right. Are you? Did you watch the first one? I finally got around to watching the first one. did. I, uh, I figured we talked about movie. that the other day. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it took a while. You know, I, as I'm learning, having a kid just really sucks up a lot of your free time. Well, you should and, watch. You should watch it with Thomas. I mean, he, you know, he's probably okay with that. Well, I, I kind of did. I was home. Oh, okay. with him. I was home with him one day, and uh, afternoon nap time came around, and I just was holding him, feeding him, and he fell asleep in my arms. And I'm like, ah, whatever. This movie's on demand. He's sleeping, so here we go. Well, it's it's a movie with clowns, so kids are gonna like it. Yeah, I mean, you know, what's not to like about clowns? Stupid right. poltergeist clown doll. I know, ruins it for everybody. Uh, it's it's sufficiently creepy. Like it's uh, when you get a chance to watch this trailer, it's it does a very nice job of like the beginning of the trailer. The, actually, the first two thirds almost of the trailer are not really scary at all, but it just you feel so uneasy watching it. It just it does a great job of being a trailer that does not give anything away about what the story of this movie is going to be. If you haven't read the book, see, I like that. Yeah, I, I like being made to feel uncomfortable, not yeah. grossed out, not gory, but. Nope. Something's just a little bit off. Yes, you will feel that way when you watch this trailer. You know, very Hitchcockian in that way. Just play mm -hmm. with my mind a little bit. Yeah. Yep, you'll you'll enjoy the trailer then. So, All right, well, that's all I got in terms of news. So let's jump into... I've, we'll well, jump into I've got oh, yeah. one thing, real you got one? Go for it. Um, so there's a another podcast out there called The Disney Dish. Okay. And episode 208 is... Um, they're, they're interviewing someone that was at the press preview for... Galaxy's Edge in California. Oh, nice. And she talks all about going on some of the rides and, and the restaurants that she saw and the, the shops that she saw. Really cool stuff. So nice. episode 208 of Disney Dish podcast. So it, it's, it, it pairs nicely with our Galaxy's Edge episode that we did. Cool. Okay. All right. I will add a link to their podcast in our show notes so people can go take a look for that one. Yeah, it was very cool. It was really enjoyable. Yeah, here and it got me excited to uh, to eventually one day get there and check it out. Yeah, awesome. All right, uh, so let's jump back to the DeLorean. We'll head to 1982. We're looking at the week of about May, about the last week in May of 1982. Uh, so a couple of things that happened in this week in 1982 on May 28th. Uh, pope John Paul II is the first reigning pope to visit the United Kingdom since 1531. Wow. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a drought. Yeah. Um, was it 400 and what? 451 years. Yeah. If, if my math is right. A um, interval of time has passed. You know, I, they were a little sore about the whole Henry VIII thing, I guess. And it just, it just took a while. Um, on May 30th, I almost said May 50th. That's not a number. Um, on May 5th, <laughs> I just about said it again on May 30th. Thank you. Uh, Cal Ripken Jr. Plays this first game of his 2,632 consecutive MLB games. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> That's just crazy. Just to, just to think of being able to play that many games without missing one. I remember watching the clip of him achieving the record. Yeah. And then the clip, there was a clip of him uh, when he eventually finally set out a game mm -hmm. and just the ovation that he got 
with knowing that his reign and having set that record, yeah, you know, came to an end. It was it was a really neat baseball moment. It wasn't about rivalries. It wasn't about uh, a, a certain fan base. It was everyone just showing their appreciation, including the uh, the players on the opposing team, just showing their appreciation for the the feat that he accomplished. Nice, cool. All right. Uh, top book for this week in 82 was The Parsifal Mosaic by Robert Ludlum. The top movie was Conan the Barbarian, directed by John Milius, uh, featuring wow. Arnold Schwarzenegger, James Earl Jones, and Max von Sydow. Uh, top song was Ebony and Ivory by Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder. If anybody wants to sing it right now, you totally can. Yeah. I'm, no? I'll, I'll take the pass. You good? Okay. Yes. All right. Um, all I can do, like, I, I would, I would start singing it right now, but the only one I can think of is the uh, the parody one from Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. with um, uh, Eddie Murphy. Yes. Yeah. Not yeah. missing that one. No. No. Um, all right. So uh, let's hop in our spaceship and uh, let's let's go visit ET. The title of this one is ET: The Extraterrestrial. Uh, it came out on the 11th of June, 1982, rated PG, with a runtime of one hour 55 minutes. Directed by Steven Spielberg, who did a couple little movies, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Schindler's List, Jurassic Park, that kind of yeah. stuff. I think I've heard of uh, one of maybe two of those. Heard a couple of those, yeah. 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 I, I thought his name was Spielberg, but uh, <laughs> I, I guess it's Spielberg. So um, yeah. I'm not. I'm not familiar with his work. Spielberg, yeah. uh, Senior Spielbergo. Him, I know. You, you know him. Okay. Yeah. Um, producers Kathleen Kennedy uh, and Steven Spielberg. Kathleen Kennedy, I think she's done a few things too. Um, maybe our entire childhood. Was she uh, related to John F. Kennedy? Uh, sure. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, she did Back to the Future. She produced Back to the Future, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and Spielberg also produced Poltergeist and Gremlins. Writers on this one were Melissa Matheson, who died in 2015. She also did The Indian in the Cupboard and The BFG. Cinematography was done by Alan Davio, who did Empire of the Sun and The Color Purple. Music was done by John Williams, who also did the Star Wars movies and Harry Potter movies. Budget for this one was $10.5 million. The box office was $792.9 million. Rotten Tomatoes critics gives it a 98%. So here's kind of an interesting one. The critics give it a 98%. The Rotten Tomatoes audience gives it a 72. They are wrong. Wow. Beyond wrong. Wrong. Yeah. Sit there in your wrongness and be wrong. Be wrong. Mm-hmm. It sounds like we got some people there just kind of deliberately dropping the I, I, yeah. I don't. I don't know why, how. Uh, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. Right. There's right. zero reason why this should be anything less than the, the critics score. Right. Right. Well, and then, so I looked at the others, IMDB, because any of the ones that are more like user scores and not critic scores, the Rotten Tomatoes audience gives it a 72%. IMDB gives it a 79%. Letterboxd gives it a 78%. So all of the audience scores are in the 70s, whereas the critic score is almost 100%. So that to me seems weird and off. Yeah, yeah. I, I really, I wonder why. If anyone out there listening has issue with ET and for some reason, let us know. I'm very intrigued by the fact that it can't the the audience rating can't climb out of the 70s. Right. Now I know my sister hates this movie, but that's partially my fault. Well, she's wrong, so she can also sit there in her wrongness and be wrong. She is wrong. Now, the reason I will say very quickly and then I'll get into the the actors who are in this movie, the reason she does not like it is because she's very freaked out by ET. Oh. Like she she does not like the design of ET. It, it freaked her out as a kid, and I didn't help because I told my parents, I kept convincing my parents that she loved this movie and I don't know why they listened to me and not her. So we went one time and got her the movie poster to put up in her room. Right. And I kept telling my parents, she loves this movie. She would love to have this poster up in her room. And they put the poster up in her room and it stayed there for several years. (laughs) And I continued to torture her with the ET stuff. I, I don't know why they believed me when she kept telling them she hated it, but 
So I, that's partially my fault, and I do apologize for that because it's an amazing movie. Yes. All right. This movie is starring Dee Wallace, who played Mary. She was in The Hills Have Eyes and Critters. Henry Thomas was Elliot. He was in Legends of the Fall and The Haunting of Hill House. Peter Coyote played Keys. He was in Patch Adams and Aaron Brockovich. Robert McNaughton played Michael. He was in I Am the Cheese. Drew Barrymore played Gertie. She was in The Wedding Singer and Charlie's Angels. K.C. Martell played Greg. He was in The Amityville Horror and The Munster's Revenge. Sean Fry played Steve. He was in Real Genius and Valley Girl. C. Thomas Howell played Tyler. He was in The Outsiders and The Hitcher. Erica Eleniak played The Pretty Girl. She was in the 88 version of The Blob and The Beverly Hillbillies. And Pat Welsh uh, died in 1995. She was the voice of E.T. She was also a voice actor in Return of the Jedi. Here's the trailer for E.T. and we'll be back in just a second. In 1975, he directed Jaws. In 1978, he directed Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In 1981, he directed Raiders of the Lost Ark. And now, Steven Spielberg brings us E.T., the Extraterrestrial. We will witness the arrival, the search, the desertion, the fear the discovery, the friendship. I'm keeping him. The secret, the love, the warning, the signal, the mystery, the danger. The intrusion. The wonderment, the enchantment, the hope, the connection has been made. Universal Pictures presents Steven Spielberg's E.T. The Extraterrestrial. I am not even going to assume that this is the first time anybody's watched this movie. That would be a, that, 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 yeah, go with that. We're correct on that. Okay. All right. Yeah. Now that that's out of the way, how much do you love this movie? First of all, Jeff, I'm just going to ask you because you picked this movie. So what was it about when you, when you got the call that we were doing a movies we missed, what was your process in kind of narrowing it down to, all right, I've got the whole of the eighties, anything we haven't already covered. How did you get from there to ET? Uh, it, it was a process because I went from, the decade of the eighties. And I had my list down to like 13 or 14 movies. And I just kept going over and over and over the list and crossing one out here, crossing another out there over the span of months until finally I got down to like two or three movies and I was just looking at it. And I just, I kept going back to ET. Mm -hmm. I kept looking at what movies, what, what movie do I feel is too special to pass up? Just, just important too important to pass up and just out of curiosity what were the ones that didn't make the cut were there were there like one or two that lost out to et that were in like your top two or three um yeah well i mean of course empire and okay uh return of the jedi was on that list okay raiders was on that list yeah um caddyshack was on that list war games was on that list okay um 
I, I honestly don't even remember the rest of the movies that I had. Okay. I had about that's, maybe that's a good list. <laughs> maybe three or four per year okay. up until 1984 when we started. Um, and yeah, I just kept I I kept you know hacking away at the list a little bit, and every time I would look at ET, I'm like, ah, I'm not ready to scratch it off the list. And like I said, I narrowed it down and just got to a point where I was like, it's it has to be this movie. Yeah, you know, I just I I keep looking at this movie with such fondness that it's one I have to choose. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I was listening to some kind of behind the scenes stuff for E.T., and it sounds like there was a bit of a process to getting this movie made um, that he was, you know, he, he wanted to make this movie um, and he wanted it to be to to be a friendly alien, you know, not like some of these other movies where the aliens come to Earth and they all want to you know kill everybody that's here. And so he got in touch with the, you know, the, the woman who ended up being the screenwriter for it. And he was telling a story. I think it was like a behind the scenes featurette. Um, I don't remember if it was on the DVD or the Blu-ray. And he tells the story of how he and her just kind of sat down and just knocked this first draft out in about eight weeks. And that he just completely fell in love with the first draft. And he apparently he bust into a meeting between Kathleen Kennedy and somebody else. And he said, we could start filming this tomorrow. This is the best first draft script I've ever seen. And and apparently even to this day, he still feels like that first draft of E.T. was was the best first draft he's ever seen of a script. So that kind of tells you something right there. You know, mm-hmm. you see something special in it right away. Yeah, and I, I think that shows in the in the product, in the end product, how, how carefully he crafted all of it. Do you remember the first time you saw this movie? No, okay. I don't. I remember, though, being scared of the first time that E.T., uh, we actually see E.T. when uh, Elliot's out in the cornfield looking for him mm-hmm. and he shines his flashlight on him and E.T. screams and Elliot screams and the flashlight kind of waves around so you don't really get a good look at E.T., just a couple of flashes of light. And I remember being really scared of that when I was a kid. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think that goes to how Spielberg just crafted making this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, we as an audience don't know anything that Henry doesn't know, not Henry, Elliot, played mm-hmm. by Henry. Um, we don't know anything that Elliot doesn't know in this movie. It's, you know, whatever he knows, that's the only knowledge we have. And you can see examples of that as the movie, as the movie goes on. You know, just one of the very smart ways that Spielberg uh, shaped this movie. But we have we have more time to talk about that as this podcast goes on. Yeah, yeah. Pat, do you remember the first time you saw it? I don't. I um, um, I remember seeing it as a kid. I mean, because I remember when I was pretty young, and I I remember having the uh, uh, you know, like the the, the you know, like a picture book you could read along to, and uh, saying all that you know, ET phone home, and and just be you know, being kind of immersed in the whole ET deal. Um, but I saw it young. I don't know that we necessarily went out to the theater for it. Um. But uh, yeah, I remember seeing it as a kid. Yeah, I, I don't remember the first time seeing this either. It's one of those that I, I think, you know, for the three of us, you know, maybe if, if Dennis was here, you know, maybe he being a little bit older than we are, he might have seen it in the theater. But I, this is probably just one of those that we were just too young to really go see it in the theater. And, and I don't either remember the first time I saw it. I remember watching it a lot as a kid. You know, this is probably a several times a year viewing movie for us, but I don't remember the first time seeing this. I do remember just the bits and pieces of, hey, I've got those Star Wars toys too. Or, hey, I also love Reese's Pieces and would be willing to eat them up off the floor. Um, 
you know, just random little things like that. And, um, you know, there are, there are definitely, I can't picture the first time I saw this movie, but I can picture Jeff, like you said, being scared of that first time you see ET, Mm -hmm. I can picture what I felt the early times that I watched this movie. Like I can, I still watching this movie have just this very vivid memory of being so bothered by the scene where ET is in the, the hospital bed. Um, and there, all the medical staff are working on him. And I just, I, I remember that as a kid and just thinking, oh my God, this is one of the most horrible things I've ever seen. Like, because, and, I, and I didn't fully understand what was going on at the time either. Because we, it's not explained. Right. And again, that's, that's another one of those ways that Spielberg really kept it true to, uh, Elliot's point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, we, as an audience, we don't get the explanation of what's going on. We just have to assume and put together enough, uh, enough pieces of uh, of the context to be able to figure out that um you know he's really sick and they're trying to help him and um you know I, I, and i think that just it really goes a long way in what makes this movie very special because as a child you're re- you're able to relate to it you're able to relate to elliot you know and and pat i've mentioned to you a couple of times that you know one another one of the things spielberg did is he shot most of this movie from a lower camera angle Mm-hmm. So it would be in the in the eye line of uh, a ten year old boy or you know a ten year old eleven year old as opposed to an adult. Again, it's bringing us into Elliot's world and letting us view things and experience things with Elliot. Yeah, he mentions in that behind the scenes featurette that I was watching. He mentions you know Spielberg. I think this this featurette was from the mid to late nineties and um, might have been like the fifteenth. Might have been the 15th anniversary sometime around then. And he says, yeah, I was going for, I didn't want the perspective of this movie to be any higher than that of somebody who's like 14 and a half years old. However old um, the brother Michael is supposed to be. He said, that's why you don't see, you know, it's almost like Charlie Brown. You don't see the teacher's face. You don't see, you know, the people at the beginning of the movie. You don't see those guys' faces when they're, you know, trying to hunt E.T. down. It's really, you know, Michael is the oldest brother. That's really the most adult perspective you get in this movie even the mom you know he made a comment he's like well even the mom is is a not that she's childish but in a way she's very childlike in how she interacts with the kids when she's reading the stories to Gertie and just she's very relatable you know even to the kids even though she's an adult um right. he said that's really why she's the only adult that gets factored into this and I, I liked one of the things he said about et he said if you if you think of this movie from et's point of view that he said i wanted to make a movie where et shows up and he has this he gets lost and has this adventure on earth and then when he goes back to his planet he's going to tell all of his people about you know the world of earth as he experienced it with the children of earth like not with the adults he's going to go back and he's going to talk about his adventure his adventure and to the rest of the et people it's going to seem like he had this adventure on a planet that was populated by children Hmm. And that that would be ET's story when he gets back home. Right. I like that. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. I, I never thought of it that way, but I'm like, no, that that fits perfectly with the way the story is told. The, the just the feeling you get, and especially at watching this as a kid, you do relate to it so much because it's like you know, it, it's not it's not demonizing adults. It's just they're they're outside of everything. Like well, they're not as involved in the story. And again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but Elliot's point of view, he doesn't know what the deal is with the adults, right? You know, neither do we. We don't know what caused his parents to be separated or, or, or divorced. You know, we don't, you know, we don't know what the backstory to that family is. You know, we all we know is what Elliot knows, and he, Elliot knows that dad is in Mexico with Sally. We know he hates Mexico. Yeah. 
you know, and, and you get a lot of, you get a lot of great reactions from the mom, from Mary that, you know, when you look at it from the viewpoint of an, a 10 year old or 11 year old, it's, it's very confusing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of what this movie is about. You know, E.T. is is the metaphor for Elliot, I feel. You know, Elliot wants nothing more than to to go home, to find that home that he once knew. Mm-hmm. And we we experience that journey home or trying to get him home through the the experience of trying to get E.T. back home. I mean, this movie is, is about so much more than a boy and an alien and, and their friendship and their adventures. Hmm. There are so many levels to, to, to unpack and really discuss what's going on. Had you heard the early um, ideas for titles for this movie? I want to say I have, but nothing comes to mind. The original working title for the movie was A Boy's Life. Huh. Okay. And then, um, of course, you, you end up with the movie Mac and Me later on in the 80s. But the other working title for this one, actually further on, before they shortened it to ET. In fact, I think actually right before the movie came out, the movie was called ET and me. And that's what it was. And I think on some of the, I, I don't know if it was promotional materials, but I, in an interview, I was listening to some interviews and with, um, with Henry and Drew Barrymore, they were, they were talking about, um, getting the script and everything else. And, and they remember they're like, yeah, this, this movie was called ET and me like right up until I feel like it was, you know, brought out in the theaters or the posters came out or whatever it was, but it originally started as a boy's life and then switched to ET and me, which I thought was kind of funny. Cause then later on you get Mac and Mac me, and which me. is, yeah. you know, Similar type story, not as good, but similar story. No, nowhere near as not good. anywhere. No, no, no. It's like the difference between a gourmet burger and White Castle. <laughs> yes, there's some differences. <laughs> you can eat at White Castle. You might even be nostalgic for something at White. I don't know why, but it's not good. Um, I I did want to say too. I just just in terms of you were talking about the the reactions in this movie, you know, and and the way that some of the actors handled it. I I was uh, looking around on YouTube a little bit for some other stuff, and I found the original. Um, uh, kind of screen test for the Elliot actor. Um, oh my God. Isn't that heartbreaking? Oh man. And that, and did you, did you watch it? If you watch it all the way through, you get to the end of the whole thing and Steven Spielberg, like right on the spot, he's like, you got the job kid. He's like, it doesn't even hesitate. As soon as that's over, he's like, you got the job kid. And, and um, I think he's, he's uh, heard talking about it later on and says, we just were in that room with him and everybody in the room was in tears. And immediately we knew that that's our Elliot. Basically what they did was, I guess they gave him some lines to read and that kind of went okay. And then Steven Spielberg was like, okay, well, well, hold on just a second. Now let's just, let me just give you a scenario. E.T. is this alien that you've befriended. He's, he's friendly. Think of him as like your dog. Think of him as like a pet or your dog. And this man here, he's from the government and he's going to come and he, he wants to take E.T. away. So now we're going to, we're going to start with that. And you hear the man read, you know, they're just, they're not even necessarily reading lines. He's just saying, you know, we're going to take E.T. away. We need to study him. We need to talk to him. Um, and just the, the kid, um, Henry Thomas, just, he just starts to break down. And some of the ways that you see him kind of break down in the movie, you're seeing almost the exact same, you know, the, the, tearing up and the crying that you see in the movie, you're seeing the same in the audition. And I'm just, I'm sitting there going, this kid's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like no wonder they cast him as Elliot. Yeah. I mean, after you look at that casting session, you just like Spielberg said, you know, you got the job. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what else you're going to be looking for because even in that, that casting session, he, he was so in that moment and his emotion was so real and so raw that to, think you're going to get a better performance from a from from a child actor you know i I don't know what you'd have to be smoking to not recognize what's in front of you so Mm -hmm. kudos to spielberg for 
for finding, you know, Henry Thomas and just kind of running him through those scenarios and recognizing what he was capable of. As you know, I'm from the government. I'm part of the United States government, and I am empowered to take that alien with me. But you can't take him away. He's mine. Well, but the government is bigger than you are, Elliot. And I, I really, I have all the authority to take him, and i got to tell you, I'm going to take him. You can't take him. Well, I'm afraid I have to, son. You it's... can't take him away. He's mine! But it's not my choice. The president asked me to come here and get him. I don't care what the president says. He's my best friend. And you can't take him away! Well, it's, it's real possible, Elliot, that, that he'll come back and you can have him again. But we just want to talk to him and see where he came from and try to find out about other planets. And he, he probably is the key to a lot of things that we have to know. But how do I know you're going to bring him back? Well, I'm afraid, son, I, I can't guarantee it. I think he's afraid of you. Yeah. And he also said that when they were doing the casting stuff, he said right away, he knew that, I guess, uh, Drew Barrymore, when she was, um, she was f four. Yeah, maybe four. Um, she had tried out for poltergeist mm -hmm. and he immediately said, cause he was, you know, there's, there's the talk that he was really kind of the director of poltergeist, um, uncredited, but that he was the director. And, um, you know, he, I guess she tried out for it. He's like, no, 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 you're not right for this part, but we've got another one that we're going to be doing, um, very, very soon. And I, I want you to come in for that one. And he said, um, he said that she came in and, and she's, she's like this five-year-old kid mm -hmm. and she comes into this like casting session and she's just making up these huge stories. She's like, oh yeah, I'm going to be a punk rocker and I'm going to go on like this 20 city tour of the U S and she, mm -hmm. her stories are just getting more and more elaborate. And he's like, nope. Okay. You got it. Yeah. Like, that's that's the Gertie character I want. Like that's I, I want someone who's kind of precocious and and very cute little kid. And he's like, nope, we're we're good, we're done. You don't need to say anything else. So it sounds like the casting choices were made pretty quickly for this movie. But the, that may be. I don't know how you cast it better. Right. Eat, you know. Eat no, I, I think them. he hit it. I think he hit it without almost without maybe too much effort on his part. It seems like he, you know, it, it did sound like they looked through a whole bunch of different Elliots and that they just couldn't find one. Uh, cause it sounded like they didn't find an Elliot until they were really close to starting to film. Um, but it just sounds like once he found, like he knew right away, this is my Elliot. This is my Michael. This is my Gertie. Huh. I, f I find Michael to be a really interesting character. I, the more I watch this movie, I really like his character other than Elliot and ET. Like his character might actually be one of my favorites in this whole movie. Well, I mean, you know, he's, his character is in a really tough place because yeah. dad is gone. Mm -hmm. So you can see that, you know, throughout the movie, the struggle he has with trying to be the man of the house while being ill-equipped to do so. He's, you know, dad's not around. Dad hasn't taught him how to be the man of the house. Dad hasn't taught him seemingly much of anything. So he's trying his best to kind of assume that responsibility to ease the burden on their mom. But he's he's in over his head when he tries to do that. He wants so badly to, I think, in his own way, try to bring the family back home again. And he doesn't know, like I said, he, he doesn't know how to do that. He thinks he does. He, he, you know, he's trying to figure it out, but he leads, you know, just ends up making more issues than, than what he really wants to have happen. Mm -hmm. And I, I love his reactions in this movie just at that, that first reaction when he sees E.T. for the first time 
that has got to be almost one of my favorite scenes, I think, in the whole movie. You know, Elliot's walking in through the whole thing. He's like, you've got to swear the most excellent promise that you can. I said, um, yes, say, now say it. I have, you know, ultimate I, I have you power, have yes. power yes. yeah. and that whole thing. And, and just, and, it, and as he turns around, just the, his, just the way his face drops. Yeah. And just, that is probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. That just, that gets me every time I watch it is just his reaction to seeing ET for the first time. Yeah. And just the, like, we, I mean, again, don't want to sound like a broken record, but just the performances you get out of these kids in this movie, the whole movie, if the kids don't work in this movie, the movie doesn't work. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, you have to believe these kids and these kids have to believe in what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, and some of the behind the scenes stuff that I watched, you know, there's footage of, um, the day that they filmed ET dying mm-hmm. and how inconsolable Drew Barrymore was Yeah, because she was so convinced at this point that, that ET was, was dead. Yeah, and this, this being that, in her own childlike way, had had grown to know and love and care about. There was just there was no consoling her. Yeah, and that that shot that you get in the movie when, and this is one that that breaks me all the time, mm-hmm. is when they bring the paddles out on ET and they charge the paddles and shock him. Yeah, and the camera cuts to Gertie and Gertie just jumps when she hears the sound. Yeah, and just starts breaking down in tears. You don't get any adult there explaining to her what they're trying to do. She's seeing her friend suffering. She's and and she's scared by it. And it's just it's so heartbreaking when you really put it into that context. And again, that's why this movie works so well because everything is through that filter of of the child. Mm-hmm. So that when things do go right and ET is rescued and and is able to to fly away with his. Uh, with, with his uh, with with the other ETs, that's why your heart breaks when Elliot says goodbye to him because you've grown to love him the same way that Elliot has grown to love him. You've grown to appreciate him and everything that he's done for Elliot because you're viewing that and experiencing all that with Elliot. So then, at the goodbye scene, you are also saying goodbye, just like the others had to do. Yeah, you're invested and have skin in the game so to speak yeah as much as the characters do absolutely and and so much of what they do in this movie they're taking you know you get a little you get a little taste of some adult situations you know you have they got to sneak him out of the house but the way they sneak it that way they got to sneak him out is through the most you know child-friendly of holidays halloween when everybody's got a costume on and you can just you know walk around in costume and, and nobody thinks anything of it then you've got you know towards the end of the movie you have you know, in any good action movie you've got some kind of a car chase you do have a little bit of a car chase but then it quickly switches over to a bicycle chase because mm-hmm. you know I, every time i watch that bicycle chase i just i keep thinking of oh my god i loved riding my bike as a kid yeah like like now it's a bit of a chore to ride a bike but mm-hmm. as a kid i loved riding a bike like that i could even picture myself you know riding through, you know, not, not the same kind of locale, but, you know, we had some spots around my neighborhood that were kind of hilly and, you know, you, you ride through, you know, some areas like that. And just, I remember picturing that as a kid and it's a very, you know, it's a very kid centric way to take that idea of the car chase or, um, you know, you got to sneak somebody through something. So you do it in a Halloween costume and they just do such a great job again of bringing it to that kid's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to get away from, from the movie itself. And I know that we've, we've got more to say about it, but that also thinking about, 
the, you know, the Halloween scene and the bicycle scene and, and all of that. Um, I know that we definitely have to talk about the music in this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Because holy buckets to steal Jeff's phrase. It, <laughs> I, okay. That's all I have to say. Yeah. John Williams really outdid himself with, with the score to this movie. I feel, um, and I didn't th- you tell me he think he feels this is his favorite of his own work. Yeah. And Pat found an article, uh, okay. in, in which, uh, John Williams alluded to this, be this work being, um, being his, I think it's like his most cherished piece. Okay. Did it in the article, did it say why? Um, well, I recall, and I think I passed it on to you, Jeff. So, I mean, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. I remember him saying that the scene, the bicycle scene, was like in his mind the perfect union of music and on-screen filming. It was like it just lined up perfectly, and I think he that's why he picked that being his favorite uh, his favorite score hmm. was okay. just the way that that lacked in with the with the with the bicycles. That makes sense, yeah. and I agree. I, I honestly don't remember what his reasoning was, but okay. I, I mean, I think this is my favorite John Williams music. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I have the soundtrack. I, I only recently bought the soundtrack. Um, for years I've had a, a John Williams compilation album and it had the, it, it was called the flying theme. Mm-hmm. So that I would listen to over and over again. It's about a five minute piece of music. But it wasn't only until maybe two weeks ago that I actually bought the uh, the full soundtrack to the movie, and it is just glorious. Yeah. Um, but I, I I I love what John Williams does with the music because the first five minutes, ten minutes of the movie is all told in music. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no dialogue. You're seeing things, and again, you're seeing things from the perspective of of a child. The camera angles down low. And, Right, and you you don't see any of the faces of these grownups that all of a sudden storm in, trying to capture ET. You you get your introduction to Keys, and you hear the music that that's played once these adults show up, and you get the sense of of dread. You know, you get the sense that these aren't nice guys; these aren't the good guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, a lot of this stems from having listened to recently um, the podcast show. I'm loving the hell out of that pot uh, out of that podcast or the soundtrack show. Soundtrack show, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm loving oh, yeah. that podcast so much, um, and it's really getting me to think really heav- heavily about music and movies, and you know the idea of characters having themes, you know, having melodic themes, and you know where's that gone? Why doesn't that show up in movies anymore? But you know, it had me thinking and listening really hard for specific themes throughout uh you know throughout et mm-hmm. so so you get a little bit of that thematic work in uh in the beginning um but i gotta tell you you know the the piece of music that i love the most out of this movie is the suspenseful build-up well there's two parts the suspenseful build-up that goes right into the flying you know and i think it's uh i'm not i have no idea uh in what meter this music is written i don't know if it's written in four and two or whatever but it's a series of 16th notes you know that whole thing it builds and it builds and then it you know it it happens once as elliot is riding his bike just with et
when it happens again later in the movie when it's the the group of boys and they're trying to outride the government outride the police john williams telegraphs what's going to happen he brings that whole thing back that whole flying theme that introduction to the flying theme back you don't sit there and you don't you don't sit and go oh well they're just going to be able to fly over these guys This music is just driving you forward, you know, from the escape to the chase to the eventual um, breaking free and and then taking off and flying over the the police cars. That just leads then to the, you know, the last few the last few minutes of the score is also incredible. You have so many smaller melodic things going on as underscoring as ET is saying goodbye to to Gertie and to Michael and to Elliot, and then you have some full orchestration moments that just build and and crescendos and just I just I, I don't know it's just it's so beautiful what he does with this music.
Yeah, I, that that end of the we brought up the ending scene where ET's saying goodbye to everybody. Number one, I can't I can't make it through that scene. Like I, and I have been watching it uh, a little bit off and on uh, this time, just because I didn't I didn't have a whole lot of time to, to sit down and watch it from beginning to end, just in one sitting. Um, but I, I I was ready to finish it the other day, and um, you know I you know the, the kids were in the house with me, and I was like, okay, before you do anything else, because they want to play some video games, I said before you do anything else. I got to finish watching ET. You guys want to watch it with me? And they're like, oh, okay. And we're getting to, it's, it's the last maybe 15 minutes of the movie, the whole bike chase and everything else. And we get to that ending scene and there, there's not a dry eye in the living room, yeah. like between the kids, between myself. And a good portion of that has to do with the music. Like I can't, there are certain scenes in movies and I know it sounds ridiculous. And I know that some of these things are like not things that a normal human being might necessarily tear up at, but there are certain movies where the music that accompanies what's going on with the visuals on the screen. When I hear that music, it's like, like you said, that music is driving you towards knowing they're getting ready to start flying. There are certain musical cues that will drive me towards, Oh God, here, we're going to start crying now. You know, it's, it's that final piece of ET. Like when, and especially when the music is just building at the end of the movie and the ship flies off with the rainbow and ET is there, or Elliot is left standing there that part, the whole goodbye scene. But when that music just builds to that ending, I, I completely lose it. Can't handle it. You know, it's, it's the same thing when I watch, I've, I've given the example of uh, rogue one. Like I have a hard time in rogue one when uh Chirrut dies, when he's going for the, um, the switch. Mm -hmm. Like as soon as that starts, as soon as that music is playing. And as soon as he's, you know, chanting his, I'm one with the force and the force is with me. Like, I know what's going to happen. And then as soon as he dies, you get, you know, the, the music is playing again. And um, you know, some of that stuff, it's just the musical cues and the emotion that goes along with them. This movie that that has always gotten me from when I was a kid to an adult. I just I cannot get through that last scene of the movie without being impacted. I think that's what I love about the music is because I hear it mm -hmm. and I can feel all that emotion again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just, it, yeah, like you, you, you can hear it's all all sorts of pieces of music and, you know, it can be really thrilling and adventurous and exciting. And, but something about this music brings me to feel so much more than than that you know I, i'm feeling the the you know it's like the sadness the realization of having to be sad in order to be happy mm -hmm. you know Hen henry elliot knows oh you still there jeff yeah yep we good i jeff, got did we lose you okay no i'm here i got i got jeff can you hear me john oh i can hear you now okay can you hear me, can you hear me okay. now yeah, I can hear you now. For I lost you for like three or four seconds. Oh, okay. Um, but I was going to say, like, you know, Elliot knows that he has to say goodbye to ET. He has mm -hmm. to let ET go back home. It doesn't mean it, it's easy for him. And you know, when when you just you, see, I can picture his face and and him in a, a crying whisper saying, "Ouch." Mm -hmm. You know, you just you know you you feel that to your soul. And if you don't, then you don't have a soul. Right. If, or, if you're not feeling the emotion of that goodbye scene, then there, you know, something happened to you and you've lost ability to empathize. Right. Even more for me, even, even more than the ouch when he, and when he says the ouch part is when ET says home or come and Elliot says stay. And you just, that ET, the ET, just, it's amazing design for the ET creature. Just that look on ET's face of just heartbreak mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that they were able to get this mechanical rubber suit, whatever it was for that particular scene, just to convey that emotion um, is just amazing. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this God, this movie's so And that's so a whole horrible. other that's a whole other story too. I was listening to a couple of things on the design of the ET creature, and originally they went with uh, Rick Baker, who's done so many other uh creature creations. Um, they went with Stan Winston. Uh, Rick Baker, I guess, made a whole bunch of aliens for this. And they said, no, sorry, we're really just going with one. Um, you know, then they went with Stan Winston for a little bit. And he's like, well, yeah, that's that's not really quite what we're looking for. And, uh, you know, just some of the stuff that they did. Um, I, I don't know if you guys are aware of this one. They were mentioning the thing that I watched, that the person who does E.T.'s hands was a, a mime artist. And that's, okay. they got that because they knew that people who work as mimes, they're very intentional about their movements. And they said, if you just watch E.T.'s hands in this movie, that's why they wanted to, to do that. They actually just painted or they put some prosthetics on a mime's hands. And they knew that this person was going to be very intentional and very, you know, convey emotion through their hands. And you have so many of those great scenes where um, one of Steel, uh, Steven Spielberg's favorites, he said, was when E.T. is sitting there eating food when the kids are just sitting around and, and talking to each other about ET, he said, there's a moment when, um, the hand, the, the person doing the hands, I guess there's a little piece of food that is just like sitting on the lip of the ET uh, puppet. And the hand reaches up and just kind of just, just takes that little piece of food off just very gently. And Spielberg is like, I love that. He's like, that's a little detail that I would not have even thought of just the movement. When, when you see the, scenes of you know et putting his hand on elliot's shoulder and just stuff like that he's like there's no way we could have done that with a mechanical puppet it had to be done by someone like this and that's why he said that's why i went with a mime because i just knew they're very intentional about their movements and i wanted someone who could convey emotion through the movements of their hands pat did you have any uh specific music cue that you hone in on when when you watch et or think about et well i mean I'm not going to be able to do anything that, that other than just agree with what you said because you were I, everything you said was just in my mind just right on and just so eloquently stated. And so I'm going to end up recapturing or not recapturing, but just reiterating that. But I, I think that I don't want to say this falls in the cracks, but I just think that you know, you know, whenever I think of John Williams' music, you know, it's I'm always thinking of Indiana Jones and Star Wars, and I, and I always think of those, and I think this one. Is is it silly to say right up there with them? And and I I don't again it's like it's not that it's fallen in the cracks because E.T. is just such a fantastic movie and we all know it. I mean it's got you know the ninety eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes uh, critic score. But I I think that every time I put the soundtrack on, it's just you're right. I mean you hear some of the 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 the, the hallmarks of John Williams in there. I mean you recognize it as his music, but it it does it just it creates all a, a whole different set of array uh, a whole different set of array what does that mean a whole different array of emotions in you like i think john i think your daughter says it gives you all the feels and uh mm -hmm. you know I, and it's it's just amazing that that soundtrack can do that and um what musical cue do i love I, you know i honestly i really like the bike chase i mean when when they take off on that and uh, i mean you know i was i was rewatching scenes you know before we signed on tonight and I like it when they take off on the bikes and I don't know if it's considered the ET main theme. I've got to go into the soundtrack and find exactly what they call it. But you know, right when they take off on the bikes and they do something with the rhythm and it's like this, the strings have this repeated thing, this do, and it kind of gives us this pulsing feel. And it's, it's not, it's not, I mean, like I said, it messes with the rhythm to kind of keep you off balance. And, uh, the melody, it you just know something huge is going to happen. It has that da 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 da, ba -dum, 
boom, you know, and you get this real big hit and uh, the kids are all sitting there pedaling their bicycles. And I mean, that's just like, that's just really cool. And I mean, it, it the music really just captures that, that feeling of being a kid and knowing that something awesome is happening, you know, whether that's, you know, you name it the first time, you know, you go tearing off down the road with your buddies on a bicycle. The first time you get a ride on a motorcycle, the first time you go up in an airplane, the first time, you know, name any cool experience and that could be the soundtrack for it, you know? Yeah. And there's all the different pieces. And I mean, I'm not going to try and like suddenly do what, uh, uh, you know, the guy, the host of the soundtrack show does, but you know, you could just break down all the different pieces of that right when that chase scene starts. And, and you can just track that to, you know, that repeated figure. That's a little bit, keeps you a little bit off balance. Uh, the really exciting soaring melody. And then you get this punch right in the gut from the, from the low voices. And uh, it, it's just cool. And so I guess, I guess as far as musical cues go, that would, that, that scene with the bikes would have to be my favorite. Um, and, and again, you know, but you go through the whole movie and it's just scored so well that it, it just, it just, it, it just tells you exactly how you're supposed to feel and what is what maybe not. It's supposed to tell you exactly how it's to feel. They're telling you exactly what the intent of the movie makers are. You know, the music just really brings the whole frames, the whole movie. And, you yeah. know, I'm going to, I'm going to throw something else out there. It always amazes me in ET because, you know, whenever I, when I go back to it and rewatch it, because it's not something that I watch like every month and all that, but you know, we watched it with the kids in somewhat recent memory um, and they loved it. And, but it amazes me because there's, there's no surprise. You see the aliens right away. That's what it starts with. So there's none of this kind of fiddly farting around with, well, are they real? Are they here? Are they not? Do you believe is the kid going crazy? Is he not? And it's like the audience is in on the, on the story. You get what I'm saying? So, the fact that the movie can still put you on the edge of your seat with, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? And emotion and um, excitement and suspense, which I guess was what I already said. But that's all happening with the music. It's, it's like, you know, there are aliens. Okay. You know, there's an alien that got left behind. You know that this alien's really a good guy. You know that the, you know all these things. You're, you're not being taken by surprise with it. And I'm, I don't want to just list movie titles and, and say spoiler alert, spoiler alert. But I think of all the other movies that deal with like alien encounters, you know, on Earth, and you're not quite in on the gag the same way you are with this movie. Mm -hmm. You kind of uncover it as you go. So there's this this degree of suspense already kind of just built in to the story because you're like, okay, is this going to end up being a gag? Is this going to end up being real? Real? There weren't any, you know, but in this, it's like all the cards are out on the table. The story unfolds in a different direction. I mean, and obviously, like we said, the story is about, you know, Elliot and, and him trying to figure out his place in the world and the family and, you know, kind of, I don't want to say a broken home, but, you know, a, a house with a divorce and, and you know that's kind of what the focus of the movie is but again all this since you know that there's an alien out there all of this this emotion is really created with with the music you know or and maybe not just created with the music but it's helped along with the music even though you know that for this story in this world there really are you know there really are ufos and all this kind of stuff it still puts you on the edge of your seat with what's going to happen to them you know I, I just, it, it really just helps advance the story so well, the uh, the way the music is played.
it's just it's just awesome. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you 100%. You know, it's it's hard to envision this movie without this specific music. Like if you wanted to do an experiment and try dropping other pieces of music in this movie, I just I don't think you'll find anything else that does this story justice that that accompanies the acting performances so well mm-hmm. or as well as what John Williams was able to do with it. And, you know, it, 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 it gets it, at, at the end, it just it gets wrapped up so beautifully with this full orchestral sound. You know, I just, I, I, every time I hear that part, right. Every time I hear the end, I just, I, I have to stop and just take a breath and just let it almost wash over me. It's so, so wonderful. You know, I always wonder too, like, you know, some of the movies that we've watched on this for this podcast show have been the foreign language ones. And, uh, sometimes the subtitles don't pop up, you know, when they're up in the Google folder. So I've watched Mm -hmm. them and it's just like, how much can I pick up you know and it's like with this movie i bet you this i would still get about 98 99 percent of what they intended if it was in a different language or or no dialogue at all or no exactly yeah i mean if this went top to bottom just visuals and music i will i'm pretty certain that we'd all still be able to feel the exact feels that we were supposed to at Mm -hmm. whatever time we were supposed to in the movie now I have a question for you guys. It's not part of our five questions, and it's not part. It's not about music, so I don't want to interrupt. If you've got anything else you want to say about the music in the movie, I like music very much. Uh. <laughs> I don't know what that was, but I agree. <laughs> That's about all there's left to say. Yeah. Um, so here's something I was wondering because I've this has kind of been my take on this for quite a while, and I just I want to know if anybody else had this take on the like the actual character of ET. I always thought. From, from when I was old enough to, to think through these things a little bit more than just a kid watching a movie going, this is fun. Um, I have been under the impression that E.T. himself is either a child or is more of like a, a rookie going on his first interplanetary mission for the first time. And, and that's one of the reasons that he, you know, strays behind and gets lost. I don't know if any, if that has ever come up for anybody else or, or if that has ever even like entered your thought process, but for a really long time, that was kind of my take on this was like, well, what if ET is, you know, young for his people, you know, what if he's kind of like a kid or what if he's like, this is his first mission and he kind of, you know, messes up getting back to the ship on time because he's being chased and you know, he's, he's lost. And so he doesn't have the experience of, of his other people. Has anybody else ever, like, have you ever thought through that piece of it before? I have hardcore since we started podcasting. Like in the back of my mind, I've been like, you know, I wonder now he's probably a kid. No, he's probably, I've been going back and forth for the last hour, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I've never really given it much thought. Okay. I, I, I've never tried to put that in any sort of context before. Yeah. And not even necessarily that he's like a kid. Cause you wouldn't take a kid on a, you know, botany mission. Um, but well, you know, just that, just that he's younger, maybe like a younger, one of his people. Um, and this is his first mission or something like that. And and he just through his inexperience is, is why he gets left behind. So I don't know. I just, for years, for a few years now, that's kind of been my thought that's running through my head, but I've never heard anybody. I don't think I've ever heard Steven Spielberg say one way or the other, or I've never heard anybody else say one or the other. So I didn't know if that's something that you guys had ever thought through before. No. Okay. 
I've I've started recently kind of thinking about, I mean, you know, like Jeff, in, in our discussions, and you've talked about how E.T. is a metaphor for Elliot, sort of, or, yeah, like, you know, like, it, am I, am I, am I overly uh, simplifying the statement that no, you made? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, or maybe E.T.'s experiences are, are, are um, related to Elliot's experiences or whatnot. I guess that kind of got me thinking. And then I've, I, yeah, and I, I mean, I don't you didn't ask, well, what is he? Is he a kid or an adult? But I mean, I could totally see where, you know, they're just, it's just two kids trying to get through, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Just recently I've really started to kind of like, geez, I wonder about that. In 2002 for the 20th anniversary, ET was re-released in theaters. Yes. Went to go However, see it. it was awesome. It was re-released with additional footage and uh, so scenes that had been cut were put back in, mm -hmm. as well as uh, updated graphics, specifically with E.T. and his face and his facial features, mm -hmm. because Spielberg had said at the time, if CGI had existed, he definitely would have employed it to really be able to uh, express or, or, or have E.T. show more expression and more and more emotion. Mm -hmm. Um and one of the biggest changes that he made is uh, the towards the end, as the kids are riding their bikes and they're approaching the police barricade, um, he removed the all the guns, all the visible guns, and replaced it with uh, all the officers holding walkie-talkies, and even added a line in there: "No guns, they're only kids." Mm -hmm. Which, watching it this time. Because it had been a little while since I watched it, watching it this time, that line seemed really out of place because nobody's walking up with guns. Like I, yeah. I picture that is like when the mom says no guns, is that she should be watching people run up to the van holding guns, and she's yelling at them. They're only kids, no guns. So to me, watching it this time is like eh, that line. Now that line doesn't fit because nobody's holding guns. So why say that? She she would be more panicked if she sees people walking up with handguns. Well, so he got a lot of feedback about having made significant changes to the movie. Yeah. Kind, kind of like what George Lucas did with the Star Wars movies when those were re-released. Right. And, you know, he added all this extra stuff and did this, that, and the other. Um, Spielberg has gone on to say that he regrets making the changes because it wasn't the movie that people fell in love with 20 years ago. Right. Okay. And he wants... So now when people ask him, you know, which version of E.T. should they see, he says, go with the original 1982 version. Mm -hmm. That's the one that he gave to the audiences. That's one that the audiences have cherished and fallen in love with and adored for years. You know, it was almost irresponsible, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, irresponsible of him to make changes to that movie. To mess with the magic. So he, he, le he learned his lesson in that, you know, once you put it out there to the fans, it it's their movie. Um, that's why on Blu-ray you can only get the original release. Hmm. Okay. We have uh yeah, I have the Blu-ray. Um I don't remember which version it is because the one we watched this last time was the one that I have that's the digital copy that I have through iTunes. And it had the walkie-talkies as opposed to the guns. Did it? Okay. Now it had the the two the two guys at the end of the barricade that have rifles, they still hold rifles. Like they still have shotguns, 
but everybody else is holding a walkie-talkie instead of a handgun. So I don't remember if the if the shotguns were cut out before, because there's a very distinctive shot of you see the guy like cock the shotgun right before the kids get close to the barricade. And I don't remember if that was removed when they did the 2002 version of it. I'd have to go back. I have both versions on DVD. I bought the okay. the 20th anniversary DVD set. It had the original and the and the uh, the added footage one. Okay. Um, Pat's got my copy, so he'd have to tell you which one I have. I, well, and I, my problem is I watched it and then I can't remember because then I'm rewatching. I was rewatching like trying to find the musical cues, and I was just pulling stuff up on YouTube, and then all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, there's got like. The one, the fun thing I found on YouTube was the original because the guys were walking around with handguns and all that kind of stuff. So I'm confused now what I remember seeing because I watched some on YouTube and some on the one you loaned me. Okay. So the question that I have is, you know, how do you guys feel about directors going back and making changes to movies umpteen years after they originally were uh, were released? You know, is is there something to the idea that once it's released, it, it belongs? To, you know, it's no longer your film; it belongs to the audience, and it is irresponsible to try to change what the audience has grown to love. Or is it is it the director's movie, and the director can do whatever he or she wants to it? Well, if they're good changes, then it's okay. But if they make <laughs> bad changes, then you know you're meddling. Mm-hmm. It's kind of my initial reaction, and I'm I'm saying that only partially tongue in cheek. And then I also kind of get into the thing too, where it's like me trying to like you know when I cut my own hair, my sideburns. Oh, this one's a little high. Let me. Oh, I'm just going to tweak it just a little bit. Oh, shoot! Now it's unbalanced. I got to go to the other side. Oh, wait. Uh, now and then all of a sudden, you know, I've shaved my entire head, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like that's kind of the thing I get into too. Is is like how much tweaking and fidgeting with it before it's just you're tweaking and fidgeting with it just to tweak and fidget with it. Well, and the, the obvious example is the Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think in that example, my answer is yes. Because I, I think I feel like I le- when I went to go see the special editions, when those came out, I, I thought, oh man, this is this is awesome. Like the way he's gone back and changed some of these things. The the Battle of Yavin at the end of the first movie. I'm like, this is great. Like this is this is, you know, just the, the what he's able to do now with the CGI and the dog fights and all that. That's amazing. Now I'm kind of at a point where those came out and that was really cool. And the added scenes were cool and some of the other stuff that they did. But when he's gone and done more, when George Lucas went and did more editing as more DVD or Blu-ray releases came out, I was like, Oh God. Okay. Just that's, that's probably enough. Like we can, we can stop now. So I think my take on it would be as long as the edited versions don't completely replace the original theatrical ones, I'm totally fine with it. Like if you get for years, people have been asking for a, a clean, unedited theatrical version of the star Wars movies. And I, I have them on a flash drive somewhere. Um, somebody went through and created, um, what do they call them? The despecialized versions mm-hmm. of the star Wars trilogy. And it is, they have taken, I'm trying to remember all the, all the sources that they took. They have taken uh, pieces from the Blu-ray le- releases the laser disc, the, like all of the most high definition video they could get. They've taken those, they've run them through programs. It's, it's taken years for them to finish, but they've tried to create, um, at that point, I think it was Blu-ray quality, maybe 4k quality video of the original star Wars movies. So it's what you would have seen if you went to the theater in 1977, just in like 4k quality for today. Mm-hmm. 
I wish they would release something like that because now that I, I have all of, the, I mean, I have every version of Star Wars that's ever been released, and I'll go through and I'll watch them, and I love the special edition stuff, but there are times when I just want to go back and I just want to watch the straight up theatrical ones. Like I don't want the, I want to see the old. Like there are certain things that I prefer about the old ones. I prefer the old music in Jabba's Palace in Return of the Jedi. Um, you know, I prefer Luke not screaming when he falls down the shaft of Cloud City because his, his scream sounds like Kermit the Frog screaming to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely prefer, you know, Darth Vader not saying no when he's about to throw Emperor Palpatine down the pit. Um, the one I, the one I really don't like, the, the one that I didn't like even seeing it in the theater was I love the line when Darth Vader is, is starting to leave Cloud City to go back to his ship. Um, in a new version, he says, uh, alert my Star Destroyer to prepare for my arrival. And then you have this whole extra scene of him getting on his shuttle, flying his shuttle back to his ship, landing in the ship, getting off of his shuttle and walking down you know, the walkway. And it just, it takes this extra time. The original was Vader rounds the corner. You can tell he is ticked off. And all he says is, bring my shuttle. And then it just clips to the next scene of the of the Falcon being chased by TIE fighters. And to me, that's so much of a better, like, I, I love the original more than that. So I'm, I'm kind of in the camp where, just like Pat's saying, if the changes are good, I like the changes. But if you're going to make those changes and say, all right, I've made my special edition now, I will never make the originals available to anyone ever again, because this is, as a director, this is my definitive vision. This is what I'm giving the public, and this is all you get. Then I'm I'm not good with that. I, I want everything to be available. And if I want to see the original untouched version, then let me see that. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I... I... I'm much more of a fan of the original and any original movie being mm. put out. You know, it like Pat said, you know, with, with his uh his cyber analogy, at some point you have to sit there and go, okay, maybe I've done I've I've done a little bit too much. And instead of just tweaking a couple things here and there, I've started to really significantly impact the product. You're not a fan of Hayden Christensen at the end of Return of the Jedi? Not one little bit. <laughs> oh, that, that one made me mad. <laughs> when I got the Blu-ray and I saw that one, I was like, whoa, whoa, no, no whoa, whoa. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, um, wh- what? I, I started pulling Anakin lines from Attack of the Clones. I, I can't breathe. <laughs> yeah. I hate he, sand. He makes me so angry. <laughs> I'm going to uh, kill women and the children, too. I like the scenes where they they opened up like Cloud City you know, where mm-hmm. they weren't running through a hallway, but you could see outside and like where you see the, you know, some different shots of like the Millennium Falcon, big surprise, uh, like take it off and flying around. But it's like, yeah, just keep it simple like that. Like we yeah. don't, we don't need to, like you said, add no. And add, you know, right. the stuff that opens up the world more, I liked the stuff that just seems like doodling or mm-hmm. fidgeting or adding more stuff, you know, hanging more things on the tree. I, it, that, that gets to be uh, okay. That's okay. Whatever. He asks each traveler five questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. You've got to ask yourself one question. Why are you asking me? For? I don't know. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. And may God have mercy on your soul. All right. So our five questions this time around. Question number one: Favorite place to ride a bike? This can be either as a kid or an adult. Do we need to clarify what sort of bike for Pat? <laughs> I'll assume uh, bicycle. L- let's go with kid's bicycle or go with a bicycle. It could be, you don't have to be an adult riding a kid's bicycle. I would say growing up in Texas, we had kind of a, it's almost like a combination bog and quarry that we're not too far away from um, 
from where my house was and it had some of the same you know you, you have in in this movie you have kind of like the the leveled ground where they can like fly down the the different levels of the the housing development that they're in we had some spots that were pretty similar to that and we had some you know we had some pretty steep hills that you know i remember the neighborhood there was this like one of the streets it was kind of a steep hill going all the way up we'd ride we'd ride our bikes all the way up to the top and just coast down the entire way and, and that's to go back to the music for a second that's why i love the music in that scene and the fact that that's the power that that et has is he's going to make this kid fly on his bike because because every kid when you ride your bike down a hill or you're riding your bike fast you're imagining yourself flying so that's that to me that's why that's such a perfect fit for the music and that whole scene and the fact that they're on their bikes riding it because i remember that as a kid just flying down these hills and thinking what if my bike just picked up off the ground mm-hmm and I don't know if that was just me feeling that way riding the bike or if I'm just, or if I remember watching ET as a kid and thinking that, but that would be for me. There was a, an area kind of close to our house where we had some, some similar topography to, to what they have in the final scene of this movie. Uh, anywhere and everywhere. I mean, as a kid, it was just such a great feeling of freedom, you know, going out with the family and bike rides, you know, where you go trails and all that kind of stuff. But then, you know, if I wanted to get to my friend's house and you know, where I went to school, it, it wasn't uh it wasn't necessarily a neighborhood school. So I had friends that I went to school with that would have gone to completely different. They didn't quite live on my block or nearby and all that. So once I could get on my bike and like, you know, pedal one town over and go see my friend and then we'd get on our bikes and then, uh, and then go up to the movie theater that was like two towns over. And, uh, that was just the greatest thing ever because you could just like head out. And I think about that now, just like, dang, that was pretty cool. And, uh, it was, yeah, I mean, you know, we'd meet and play a football game somewhere. Everyone's on their bikes. And, and you know, that that phrase where you just say, look at that. I think you said it today. All the kids are out on their bikes or like stranger things. They're all on their bikes. And it was just like, maybe kids do that nowadays. And I'm just not a kid, so I don't see it. Um, but I just remember that. And that was just like, dude, that's just pretty cool, you know. So anywhere was good because you could go anywhere when you had your bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I have. I have very fond memories of, uh, in my neighborhood when I was a kid and riding bikes was, that I mean, that's what we did, you know, I mean, it, to borrow a scene from my girl, you know, when, uh, when the, when Veda says to Thomas J, Hey, you know, do you want to go ride bikes? Like that, that was it. It's not, do you want to go ride bikes to the park or mm-hmm. to the, to the store or whatever? Just, do you just want to go ride? Mm-hmm. And I remember just. We, we used to do that all the time when I was a kid, all, all over the neighborhood. You know, we, we had a couple of parks nearby that we'd go to. We had, uh, we had a little newsstand that uh, rented movies. You know, we'd ride our bikes over there and, and get a movie and a snack. And you know, we'd have races around the block who, you know, who was faster that day and, and put, you know, putting playing cards in, in, in the spokes and, and, yeah. you know, getting that sound going, you know, trying to do tricks and you know who can leave the biggest skid line across the sidewalk and mm-hmm. yeah no i i now i've i haven't ridden a bike in years and i'd probably have a heart attack if i tried at this <laughs> Dude, point it's just like riding a bicycle um, no nah, that's not true but yeah <laughs> no I, I i think riding bikes is i, I have a lot of fond memories of, of, of doing that as a kid yeah, you know it's funny you mentioned like uh, uh, leaving the the um, leaving rubber in the in in the in the driveway and skid marks and all that. Dominic had his bike out the other day, and we got our driveway us uh, you know we got our driveway redone and then seal coated 
And the other day he was out on the bicycle, you know, it, it was, <laughs> well, we're mid-May, so I'll just say just recently when it stopped snowing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's out there and Tammy's like, go look at the driveway. And he's out there and there's all these lines up and down the driveway. And Tammy's like, Dominic, we just, and he's just like, well, I'm really sorry about that. But look at this. I can draw lines all over the driveway. And it's just <laughs> like, yeah, kid, you get it. It's pretty mm-hmm. fun. All right. Question number two, what is your favorite childhood Halloween costume? And I had to specify childhood because some of us have not stopped dressing up. Hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go either Dracula or Superman. Like as a kid, the uh, like Dracula vampire kind of thing was always one of my favorite costumes to wear for Halloween. You know, I always had, you know, you had the, um, had the Chewbacca costume that was really just like the plastic mask. And it was the, uh, I don't know what the material was. It was kind of like tablecloth material mm-hmm. um, that it had everything kind of screen printed on it mm-hmm. uh, with the name Chewbacca, you know, right across the front of it. And I was like, that that's not really, Chewbacca doesn't have his name tattooed on his chest. Um, had a Spider-Man costume when I was a kid. I really loved the Superman costume that I had at one point, but my mom uh, would not let me wear it without wearing a mask, even though I reminded her many times Superman does not wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said, no, 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 it's, it's a Halloween costume. You're wearing a mask. So okay. it would have been more fun had I not had to wear the mask because it's not accurate and she just didn't understand that. But yeah, um, yeah, I go with either one of those two. It's usually, well, and usually because I like the Dracula because that was about the only time I was ever allowed to use any kind of fake blood for my costume. Okay, I'll say, I mean, one time I went to Spock one year and that was pretty cool because uh, I got the ears and my, my grandmother could like make anything. And so my grandmother would like, all my costumes like growing up were all like handmade because my mm. grandma could like literally sew anything. So I'd say the Mr. Spock costume was pretty fun. But I'll tell you, the most niche costume I ever went, I think it was kindergarten. And I went as, um, I went as one of uh, Darth or the Emperor's uh, Imperial Guards. Oh, nice. In all red. And I mean, it's like, dang, I'm thinking like, and I did that and it was kindergarten or first kindergarten, grade. That's kindergarten back in the eighties. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, that's good was, for a kindergartner. Yeah, I know. And that was like, that's like a deep cut, you know, mm-hmm. like that's like when people are like, Oh, are you supposed to be, you know, who are you supposed to be? You know, because there were teachers that like, you know, it, it, star Wars was still like now everyone knows star Wars, but mm-hmm. I mean, like back then that was still like, Oh, look at what these kids are into kind of thing. And I was like, I'm one of the guards for the emperor. Oh, Okay. And uh, I'm just like, it was like, haven't you seen Star? Yeah. So I, I guess that would have been the most niche one that the, I. Ever the only kid, the only kid who one ups you is the other kid that comes in, you know, for for kindergarten, and he's like, well, I'm uh, one of Emperor Palpatine's uh, prefect advisors. Yeah. If you go to the time code, uh, one hour and thirty six minutes, and you see them talking with him as he turns away from Darth Vader, that's who I am. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. That's outstanding. I love that. Yeah. Do you have pictures of that costume? I will look it up now that I'm saying. I would be. I'd be curious to see. Yeah, what it looked like. But my, my grandma made it. I mean, so it was nice. literally like like red robes and it, like a red hood that I pulled over myself. Nice. So, yeah. I feel like my costumes as an adult have gotten a lot more creative. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I would have to say when I was a kid, when I dressed up as Roger Rabbit. Nice. That might have been probably my best Halloween costume as a, or effort as a kid. Okay. The only costume I can think of that wasn't like a, um, you know, like your typical Dracula or you know, something like that. I was uh, the Ninja Gaiden from the video games. I had a costume that I'd come up with from that, uh, from that Nintendo game. That was probably one of the only ones I can think of that was not as a kid, not like a straight up, you know, I'm a vampire. I'm a ghost. I'm a whatever. All right. Uh, let's see. Question number three, favorite movie with friendly aliens. So I had to think about this one for a little bit. I, I my lovely wife was helping me brainstorm some ideas. Cause at first I was like, okay, I, I can't think of any. 
And uh, she was like, well, Cocoon. I was like, oh, yeah, Cocoon. Okay, that one could work. And then I started, you know, I, I went to the computer and consulted the Googles and uh, got a whole bunch of other ideas. So I've kind of narrowed mine down. I, I was looking through a list and I was like, well, Superman's an alien. So if that one counts, but then I was like, no, let's let's shy away from that one a little bit. Um, so I kind of went through and I was like, well, there's Cocoon. If we wanted to do Superman, I guess we could do that. But then the ones that I kind of came up with were my, my runner up was District 9 because I really enjoyed that movie. Um, but I think, and I'm having a hard time narrowing it down between these two. I think I'm either going to go Arrival, because I really like that movie, um, or Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And I think I got to go. Ah, uh, man. Was that yours? That was that was high high on my list. Okay, I'll take Arrival then. You can take okay. that one. So was that, that going to be your final choice? I don't know if it'd be my final choice, but it was definitely in the running. I mean, E.T. might be my, right. my, my ultimate uh, friendly alien movie, but Close Encounters... Flight of the Navigator. Oh yeah, I didn't even think of that one. Should have thought of that one. Um, batteries not included. Mm-hmm. You didn't go with Mac and Me. No, God, you know it's <laughs> such a tough, such a tough choice. Yeah, there. To, yeah, uh, to not include Mac and Me. Okay. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Et is probably the top of the list, but Close Encounters. You know, Superman. If we want to include that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I would have put, I probably would have put ET at the top of my list. I was going to go with something that wasn't ET. Okay. Um, but yeah, if, if we're including ET, that's probably at the top. But if we're, if we're not including ET, I, um, I'd probably go close encounters and then, um, arrival would be a pretty close second. Um, did you ever get a chance to see that movie? I did not. Okay. It's pretty good. It's good. It's got some, uh, well, actually I don't want to say anything cause it might give it away, but it's good. Uh, Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner are in it. Um, you know, it's, it's got a lot of good language stuff in it. So being a language arts writing teacher, you'll enjoy that. Cool. Uh, favorite movie with friendly aliens. Star Wars. Okay. Chewbacca. I mean, I just, yeah, that's well, Yeah, that's true. That's I didn't it. think, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what, are you serious? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys did. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. We were going through it. We we're like, yeah, close encounters of the third kind arrival. <laughs> cocoon, um, you know, light of the navigator. Battery's like, <laughs> not included. And see, at one point, I even had Guardians of the Galaxy listed on mine, and I was like, "Well, maybe that doesn't. I guess it would count." But well, well, should we? Should we? Do you want to keep it for like Earth? No, we don't have to. I mean, because that could that could like you know change the show. I mean, I, I could real quick come up with some. But yeah, that's the first if, thing when I saw that. When all I right. Well, if, I mean, if the if the question is which alien, which friendly alien would you most want to hang out with, I'd go Chewie. Mm-hmm. Chewie could be my co-pilot anytime. But you're saying like if if we're like living on Earth and these things show up, as opposed to. I, I think maybe that was the original thought, but okay. that works too. Okay, then uh, friendly. I don't want to. I don't want to take Chewbacca away from you. Well, that's fine. Let me think. Just friendly okay. aliens. Uh, well, define friendly. I'd say like Vulcans. Spot. They're not trying to kill you or probe you. Okay, <laughs> I'm just flashing back <laughs> to uh, Cartman gets the uh, gets yeah. the uh, probe, <laughs> and then and then he chucks the rock and hits the Klingon battle. Uh-huh. I mean, okay. Um, you guys. <laughs> I remember when that came out. Um, um, so, okay. So if it has, I haven't seen a kid run like that since if it has to be that kind of thing, then I Mm -hmm. would say I would, I would have to go to the other big franchise and just say like Vulcans, Mr. Spock. Okay. You know, um, I would say like Mr. Worf Klingons, but I mean, the Klingons don't necessarily have the history of being friendly. So Mm -hmm. they're not your cuddliest of aliens. Exactly. So I'd say, I'd say, you know, Mr. Spock. I mean, you know, I, if, if Worf walks up to you and says, ouch, that's going to be something slightly different than E.T. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, like, I mean, if we're, uh, but are we putting like a cuddly stipulation on it or? Uh, you know, I mean, we're just, we're just saying friendly. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to like snuggle with them. Okay. Then yeah, I'd say, you know, Mr. Spock. Okay. 
And if I and if it if you have to snuggle, then I would say uh, the the Vulcan from the Enterprise series. Oh, okay. What are, yeah. Then, Good answer. Uh, yeah, uh, I forget her name. Uh, was it T'Pol? Wait. Uh, yeah, it was T'Pol. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So all right. Uh, if we're going cuddles, cuddles, I'm still going Chewbacca. Okay. There was a car right. that drove by the other day, and it had the, the Klingon symbol on the back, mm -hmm. and the bumper sticker said, just wharf it. I, I don't even know I what did, that, uh, I don't know what that We did. My mother-in-law's my mother -in-law's, um, Mother's Day card, we translated Happy Mother's Day into Klingon. <laughs> there you go. And put, it on, put it on her card. I, couldn't, I can't even say it right now, but it, the way we translated it was something like, it is the day of mothers. Enjoy it. <laughs> That's cool. So. That's cool. Uh, all right, question question number four. Do what you about, believe? What about Grig from Last Starfighter? <gasps> oh yeah, Grig's awesome. He was pretty friendly. Mm -hmm. For that matter, yeah. so was Centauri. Yeah. yeah. Up to your yeah. old Excalibur tricks, Centauri. Oh, the Death Blossom. All right, question number four. Do you believe aliens exist? <laughs> <laughs> that, that was my response. I think I sent the yeah. Jeff. Did I send you the the gift that was the picture of Mulder it. Mulder at his desk? Yeah. Yep. I want to believe. I want to believe. Mm -hmm. Um, sure. Pat, <laughs> I don't have the evidence to the contrary. I just mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to be coming down to like beam me up anytime. Mm -hmm. soon. But um, I I don't have any evidence to the contrary, and I suppose it'd be pretty arrogant to just say. Anything with any certainty. So I, mm -hmm. you know, how's that for an answer? Let's just say I, let's just say sure. And I hope they're friendly. Mm -hmm. Like I want them to be ET and not like xenomorphs. Well, I hope they're friendly. I hope they bring back Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is late enough in the evening where that's a lot funnier than it probably should be. Yeah. That's not funny at all. <laughs> That's such a good reference, though. There you go. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! I I believe that there's aliens as much as I believe that there's Bigfoot and Loch Ness and all that. Mm -hmm. Which is to say, I've not seen evidence to completely dispute it. Mm -hmm. So kind of you know, pulling Pat's answer a little bit. You know, who am I to say that definitively, yes or no? So, you know, it's a big universe. No. There might be other life out there. And if it's intelligent life, as people use that term, then hopefully they're smart enough to know to leave this planet alone and let us suffer our own fate. Well, hey, Jonathan Frakes hosted that alien autopsy, so I trust him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, every time I think like, okay, the galaxy and the whole thing, then you, I, I, I read just excerpts from, was it, uh, what did Stephen Hawking's book, what was that called? A Brief History of Time. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, oh boy, there's a lot out there that's just beyond me. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Where did I put my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic? I, yeah, it was so, yeah. All right. Fifth, final, and possibly most difficult question uh, MMs or Reese's Pieces? Yes. Okay. I think yeah. for me, surprisingly, I would go MMs over Reese's Pieces. Okay. Why, why surprisingly? Because I'm, I'm such a, a peanut butter cup guy. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I've still got my desk drawer with quite a, a few peanut butter cups that students have brought in for me over the school year. Cool. Um, but yeah, just Reese's Pieces, though, just, I don't know, not my thing. 
is now have you tried the trader joe's dark chocolate peanut butter cups i have and i'm not a huge fan okay got it i, I like milk chocolate and peanut butter that's gotcha. that's the way to go with with peanut butter cups gotcha as a kid i would have gone for reese's pieces um as an adult i would go with the peanut butter m&ms mm. so i'll i'll straddle the two choices there and say peanut butter m&ms john don't straddle anything that's just not good for anybody i know but you know it's it... did you guys know that uh originally they wanted to use m&ms in the movie and uh the mars company was like mm, no thank you very much you make your little alien movie and have a good day yeah weren't they, wor weren't they worried that it wasn't it was going to be a flop and it wasn't going to make any money so they're like no don't use us yeah they, they they didn't want to be associated with it yeah so then they went to <laughs> went to reese's and use reese's pieces instead and man candy sales for reese's pieces skyrocketed <laughs> outstanding so let me quote nelson from the simpsons ha <laughs> ha I, I was gonna quote uh uh bill the butcher from gangs in new york whoopsie mm -hmm. daisy <laughs> or, the big, or the big Lebowski. You, you can go with the big Lebowski. Well, that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I think how could you? Oh my gosh. Swing and a miss on the ET. Oh geez, that's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, you know what? I'd have to say I give M and M's the nod. Um, but I'll tell you this. Reese's peanut, like I agree with what you're saying with the peanut butter and the chocolate is so good. And I guess it's good too. I can't eat a lot of them. And I remember that even growing up, like I can have some Reese's pizzas, but the, but the, the law of diminishing returns hits me pretty quick. And so it's like, it's nice because like M&Ms, I'll, I'll go through like 10 packages and then step on like my best friend to get to more, you know, it's just like, love the M&Ms, mm -hmm. but the Reese's pieces, you know, it's th those hit the spot sometimes too. Well, now that we've solved all the problems in the universe and, and ET has gotten home safely very quickly before we do uh, kind of our, our wrap up for everything and tell people where they can find us on the interwebs. Um, if you were to give this movie a rating out of five Reese's Pieces, uh, what would you, what rating would you give this movie? 80 trillion, thousand million Google 50 infinities. So again, you're going to make me do math. I'm sorry. Okay, that's fine. I'm sorry. I was told there would be no math. Thank you. That's exactly what I said in the last episode last we, week. We we had a we had a problem. Thank last you. Week. We had a problem. I, I referenced the exact same Chevy Chase skit. It was my understanding that there would be no math <laughs> during the debates. <clears throat> now I I am prepared to answer any domestic uh, questions. Perhaps something about me and Betty. So I am so happy that you and I are the same person. But I want to change my answer for last week to five because of that one thing at the end. But no, anyway. too late. Too late. Oh, gosh. Okay. I got to go back and listen to <laughs> last week's episode. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wasn't there for that recording. I got to check that Pat out. Was gonna, Pat was going to give it a low score until I reminded him of the last like 30 seconds of the movie. <laughs> I, think, I think the whole thing was a setup for that. And then I'm like, this mm -hmm. movie is astoundingly funny. It's now the movie is now the best thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, oh boy! All right, Jeff. Do I even have to ask what your score is going to be? This this one would I think get a solid five out of five. Yes. Okay. That's yes. kind of what I figured. Yes. How right. often? How often have we seen a perfect movie? I mean, Back to the Future. This. Did we give uh, Did we give Last Crusade all fives? Last Crusade would be. I don't remember if we did or not, but yeah, I, mean, I feel like. I feel like this is one of those one of those few movies that we can pretty confidently like. 
say yes fives across the board I'm, I'm i'm sitting in my man cave right now and i'm looking at all the movie posters i have hanging on the wall and i gotta say i've got some uh, movie posters of some great perfect movies mm-hmm. got almost famous jurassic mm-hmm. park mm-hmm. rear window mm-hmm. and casablanca nice yeah. You need you need an ET poster. I need an ET poster and I need a Roger Rabbit poster. Yeah. There you go. What I don't have is the wall space to hang them. Well, that's true too. My dad gets in like angry. Like he'll just get venomously angry when you talk about the Academy Awards because you know like the movie uh, Chariots of Fire will come up. My dad'll be, "Yeah, I don't ever." I'm like, "Well, what?" He says, "Well, that came up at the same year as ET." And you ask me, I mean, what's like the greatest movie ever that came out? E.T. And what did they, they gave it to that movie? And it was just like, what? It's a bunch of slow-mo. You put anything in slow-mo, it looks good. Meanwhile, you got E.T. And they snubbed him. That's why I've just for, ever since then, the Academy Awards, forget about it at three. <laughs> I mean, my dad just becomes like, just, and I'm just like, well, number one, dad, I can see where I've come from now in my mm-hmm. interactions with movies. And two, I get what you're saying. But I mean, it's, yeah, it's just, E.T. is just outstandingly just so what awesome. you're saying is we should have had your dad on the podcast. Yeah, I should have my yeah. We could tell you if he wants to call him the love line, he totally can. Yeah, I should I should get him to call it and just tell that. So yeah, I just I think it's for the birds. It's just for the yeah. birds, you know. <laughs> Our first time reacting that way to the Oscars was with a year that um, I think it was Babe, the first Babe movie, oh, and Braveheart yeah. were up for Best Picture at the same time. And of course, my brother and sister and I are kids, so when Babe loses to Braveheart, we're all sitting there going, "This is stupid." Mm-hmm. It's the stupidest thing, and of course, now as an adult, I how many times have I watched Babe versus how many times have I watched Braveheart? Yeah, you get, it's kind of yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right, well, that's going to do it for our ET episode. That's also going to do it for our month of movies we missed. So we are going to march right on into June uh, for our next one, and uh, our next month is uh, Sex, Drugs, and Roadhouse. Um, so we're going to have Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Drugstore Cowboy, Tango and Cash, and Roadhouse. So that's coming up in the month of June, along with uh, probably sometime in the month of June will be our 250th episode on our favorite cartoons of the 80s. So right. make sure you're on the lookout for that one too. Um, and um, that's it coming up for the next uh, the next few weeks here. So if you want to catch up on some of those movies ahead of time before we record those episodes, that's what we got coming up next over the last few weeks. Uh, over the next few weeks, and then if you want to jump back, if you've missed any of the movies that we talked about in the last few weeks, uh, for this last month we had the uh, movies from earlier in the '80s. Or um, Dream Team was '89 as well, but we had Cannonball Run, we had Dream Team, we had American Werewolf in London, and tonight's was ET. So if you want to jump back to any of those, that's what we've got recently. You want to find any of that stuff? Go to 30podcast.com. That's our website. It'll connect you up with all the different social media outlets we've got and uh, our voicemail line, Twitter, Letterboxd, all that stuff. Uh, just go to 30podcast.com. You can find all that stuff. And, um, you know, it, once you uh, listen to some of our episodes, if you leave us a review, we'd love to hear from you on any of those places where you get your podcast, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, wherever it might be. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Feel free to call in the voicemail line, too. If you are Pat's dad and you're listening to this, feel free to call into the voicemail line mm-hmm. and tell us the story of why you hate the Academy Awards. Um, we'd love to hear it. So, uh, thank you, Pat. And thank you, Jeff, for picking this movie for us. Hey, this was great to be able to talk about. Yes. And, and thank you to Steven Spielberg for making this movie. Yeah. I, I, I really hope, uh, he gets more work. Cause he's, I hope, I hope he does something with his life. I mean, yeah. I don't want him to be like one of those one hit wonder kind of people. No, no. I hope that kid, no. uh, that I hope that kid gets some work. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he'll do like ET2 electric boogaloo. Mm-hmm. I'd watch it. All right, uh, that's going to do it for us this time. So be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies, and we'll see you back here for the month of June. Yeah, guys, we'll see you tomorrow when we all have to sit and discuss what clips of the music we're going to drop into this episode. <laughs> I just put the uh-huh. whole bloody thing. Yeah, it'd probably just be the entire soundtrack that just plays in the background. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Everybody take it easy. Have a good one. Go watch some good movies. Bye now. Bye.